Chris Redfield. Hello everyone, welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro, the only cast that will give you a spook. My name is Patrick, and today we will be discussing our top 5 Saturn Halloween slash scary games. Please welcome our Shiro's for tonight, Kay, Peter, Chaz, myself, and Sam I Am himself, the Southern Sega Gentleman. What's up boys and girls? It's already going downhill, and we haven't even started yet. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chaz. Happy birthday to you. Chaz. That was perfect. Gotcha. You mean my mic was not working for that entire thing? That's great. Yeah, that made it even better. <laughs> Awkward. I was supposed to supposed to have Sam say something. I was expecting him to be like, "Sam, why can't you play along when I want you to?" Because man, you just go and go all kinds of like circles and stuff. You, you know what? You're about like that chicken out up in the rain, mouth open, just just drowning. I love you for it, though, brother. All right. Amen. So um, why don't we jump right into the news tonight? Of course, as you guys know from me posting about it constantly and talking about it, Data Disk has started shipping. The Police Knots records. So, those of you that don't know, Police Knots is a, of course, a Hideo Kojima game that originally came out on the PC 98 and was eventually ported to all different systems, including our very own Sega Saturn. And Datadisks recently put a remastered vinyl cut of it, which has the entire soundtrack on two different vinyl discs, came in three different colors. So, were you guys able to pick up the soundtrack, or was I the only one that, that bought it on vinyl? I didn't have the funds at the time, so I was not able to put my money down to get a copy of it. I don't know. You've kind of got me excited for it. I might see if I can uh, get in on the action. I actually was able to get an order in. Lucky for me, I was able to pre-order for it sold out. The limited edition splatter ones were sold out in like seconds. Actually, not seconds, probably minutes. And they've confirmed that they're doing represses of it, however, as all three versions sold out. So both opaque white, classic black, and... The Black and White Swirl. I believe there's still some on Mondo Records, I believe, that have them in stock. And they confirmed that there would be a repress, so those of you that want to pick it up, I would definitely snag it up before it goes. You might get snatched away. Ha ha ha. Oh, yeah. Hey, so Patrick, have you listened to um, the official soundtrack already? It sounds a lot better on my setup, my vinyl setup, compared to my MP3 setup and my music setup. It actually sounds really good. I... Of course, played the classic black vinyl. I kept the uh, black and white special edition seals as I'm a giant nerd. And I don't usually do that with records, but it's police not. So I, I'm in love with the game. I have like 25 different versions of that. But I, I think Chaz might have me beat, though. I'm curious about the comparison because when I was assembling the repros a couple of years ago, I had to piece together the soundtrack that ended up coming with it. So I'm curious as to what tracks made it versus what didn't. So everything that shows up in the game, 
The bonus ones that were... In Karen Hojo's room, there's a bunch of CDs, and none of those made it for the most part. It was all the main soundtrack, so the do-do-do theme, the, the opening theme, I know for a fact, the police stations, all the shooting scenes, so everything in that regards made it that's in the game, but the only thing that didn't was that music library, which is kind of a bummer. It has some remixes of, like, Snatcher tracks, like it has One Night in Neo Kobe City, which I thought was pretty good synth up. And it Very sounds nice. pretty good. Chaz, Chaz thinks it sounds really good, right, Chaz? It sounds really nice and clear for you. I actually haven't heard it yet. If I could make a recommendation, I would definitely get the black and the clear vinyl record. As I think the swirl... I always have issues with multicolored vinyls and vinyls in general. So I would recommend pick up the classic black, in my opinion, or the classic white. I, I would absolutely love to get that. But the problem is, is I just dropped like 50 bucks on um, PAL Resident Evil for the Sega Saturn so that I can pretty much finish my variants of the original Resident Evil. Minus, I, I still need a North American long box. I've got the game. I just don't have the long box and artwork and everything. But besides that, and the $40 I just dropped on an original PS2 copy of Silent Hill 3, I would love to. But I think I'm just going to jive with that sweet OST that uh, Mr. K got a hold of me in that nice little police nice reproduction I got. So... That's a little shout out there. Great sounding soundtrack, Kay. I jam in my car every day. That's Aww. that's not a joke either. That's It's literally in my car right now. Thanks, guys. You're so sweet. No problem. We just need to put pressure on you. Hopefully you're feeling good. Speaking of data discs, they also recently announced that the Thunder Force 4 soundtrack is going to be put on vinyl as well. It's going to be their next release. And from what I understand, I believe it's going to use... I, I'm kind of unclear if it's going to use the PC Engine or the the Saturn soundtrack, but either way, that game's going to be put, put on vinyl, and I'm kind of excited to see what they do with it. Because the Police Nuts one actually had like a giant art book with it and a bunch of extras, so I'm hoping they do the same for Thunder Force, but that's, that's definitely a buy for me, because I love shmup soundtracks. Moving on to news with Professor Brace of Saturnator. I think it was Saturnator. Essentially, he announced that the betas are in the works. He basically just got a shipment in from China of the actual boards, but unfortunately the edges that he's going to be using for the beta tests are unbeveled, so as a lot of you know, the unbeveled edges will cause issues in the Saturn as, an, as it uh, bends the pens and it doesn't really play nice and sits right in the Saturn, or just anything in general, and beveled edges are sort of the, the needed thing. So on the cartridge slot, there's the... I don't know you see the entry point for the cartridge. Usually you'll see like a very eensy bitsy beveled edge on it and I think maybe Kay might know a little bit about that too where if it's not beveled it causes havoc with the Saturn's pins or I don't know if any of you guys experience that as well with the most notorious Saturn carts that are out there the third party ones that don't have the beveled edges and cause damage on that cartridge slot dude I'm gonna tell you I've never had a problem personally with the one you know I've, I've always me and Brian from Titancast we did a one of our very first casts was talking about peripherals and how to expand your Saturn library, basically talking about backups, reproductions, etc. And you know, the pseudo Saturn card or the action replay card for bringing in imports and everything. And I was very clear about not constantly taking it out and putting it back in. I personally have never had a problem with that, but I have heard so many horror stories about aftermarket carts. My one real experience, though, and this kind of goes with it, is the failure rate with action replay carts I've had. I have had so many of them, event, like region bypass, no problem. Cheat codes, no problem. You want that one megabyte, four megabyte? Nah, 
we ain't doing we're not doing it brother you know i had you know the same the, issue the action replay cards are not one meg they're only four meg so how do they work with one meg games then because the memory addressed by those games it uh, occupies the same amount of space so when the game is coded correctly it can address that memory but when the game is not coded correctly it addresses the memory in a different way and that's why you have some of those games that are not compatible with those cards is that one of the reasons why you also have those garbled graphics if you leave the saturn on for a long period that's of time exactly why, yeah. well now i know there's actually a, a cart out there, like a, a Chinese cart that came out in the last few months that has a switch on the top. And there was an older one that I picked up many years ago that had a switch on the front. And it actually cuts off the extra three megs of RAM. So it, that kind of cart does function as a proper one meg or four meg with the switch. But anything that doesn't have a switch is not going to be a proper one and four meg cart. Well, my my kind of go-to thing is at this point, and I killed one of my Saturn boards lately whenever I tried to modify it with a... I've done it three times. Of course, the fourth time would be the charm, or the two times and the third time would be the charm. Whatever the case is, I, I killed one of my boards put in a region bypass or region-free, universal, whatever you want to call it. But I killed it because two of my Saturns are dead right now, and I've only got one Saturn that's, you know, well, I had two, but now I've only got one. And I wanted to have one that was, again, region-free as well as having a Phantom. That way I could, you know, play whatever. It didn't matter. And I could use my original 1 megabyte, my original 4 megabyte, and my original, you know, memory card. And right now I'm stuck at having to use an action replay again. I hate it because I, like, games like Panzer Dragoon, Saga, for for instance, you can't even boot the game in with that thing in. Um, you can. I mean, there, there are workarounds we can talk about, but it's particularly like you need to use a cheat code. Um, if you're going to do right. like a non-pseudo version and if you're going to do a pseudo version you got to make sure you're using like uh, Cafe Alpha's uh, pseudo Saturn Kai and a proper dump of the game I'm not a pseudo Saturn adopter though I, I stick with my phantoms and my universals <laughs> I'm going to call you Danny Phantom from now on that's going to be canon roll with it baby I'm cool with it Damn, yeah, cool with everything. you can throw in a cheat code on your action replay and bypass that uh, lockout the Saturnator basically doesn't have an ETA yet, but he's estimating probably sometime next year for some pre-order, some release. So he's just working right now, getting to make sure it's 100% good and it's easily manufactured and shippable so that way he can get them out in a steady stream of availability. All right, so that pretty much does it for the news. Why don't we move on to our main topic, which is the spooky Saturn games or Halloween-themed Saturn games. Just really, I guess the criteria really, in my opinion, was just any games that were Halloween-themed or had some Halloween theme to it or were very scary, very scurry. Now, those of us, or well, those of you guys who've been listening to us know that uh, Pat, Dave, and myself have done this last year, and we kind of went over a smorgasbord of games but didn't really go too deep into you know our, much of our personal favorites. I mean, uh, we talked a little bit about him and gave him some ratings. But uh, since we have so many new uh, Shiros and uh, Sam here is uh, our guest, figured we would want to hear about what their favorites were. Definitely. All right. Why don't we start off with the first game on our list, which is, of course, Resident Evil. The triggering system has now been activated. All researchers and guards should take cover immediately. Unlock all rooms for evacuation. 
I guess basically for everyone that really doesn't know about the series, it started off as a, I guess... What are you hiding under? (laughs) Yeah, I'm with Kay. I'm not going to explain anymore, no. Uh, For everyone that lives under a rock and doesn't know what the series is, it's a, a game that really pretty much not created, but really perfected the survival horror genre in terms of security camera angles and that sort of aesthetic gameplay. So basically a game released in 1996, uh, of course on the PlayStation 1 first and then the Saturn. And it basically was the, uh, I guess, a spiritual successor to the Sweet Home game on the NES, which is what's the one, The I think it was like Shinji Mikami, was he the one that did the first one? Uh, he is, he was the one that did the first one. I gotcha. So Shinji Mikami worked on the first, basically worked on the first one. He had some experience with Sweet Home and he wanted to create that vibe on the PS1. So he was inspired and made the Resident Evil series, which of course is now world-renowned. And now the remake for 2 is actually coming out next year, which I'm really excited for. And I'm pretty sure everyone in this chat like Resident Evil is excited for it as well. Alright, so why don't we uh, get your guys' thoughts on it. So why don't we start with you, Chaz. What are your thoughts on Resident Evil, Mr. Mr. Speedrun Man? <laughs> well, I'm no, ro- I'm no world record holder, but uh, I'll take the compliment all the same. Uh, yeah, so my start with Resident Evil was began on the PS1 uh, back in 97 when I was maybe 11, 12 years old. I actually heard very little about it. I only saw some gameplay of it at a video game store, and it looked intriguing to me, so I rented it one day when back when we used to rent video games from, from uh, rental stores and just like millions of others, fell in love with it and played it and played it and played it and got better and better and better at it. And then many, uh, many years later, I finally got around to playing the Saturn version, which most had not played. And overall, my overall opinion of it is that it was a relatively, uh, a relatively solid port for the Saturn for what it was. Although I still personally prefer the PlayStation One version. It, for me personally, it just it feels smoother. It feels better in my hands. But I do like the soft, the more color palette on the Saturn, which makes the game uh, look a little bit darker, which for a survival horror game is very appropriate. Yeah, I noticed that as well on the Saturn. It kind of doesn't have that, sort of missing that PS1 jagged vibe to it. I don't know if maybe that was just me, but it seemed kind of a lot sharper on the Saturn. Yeah, yeah, the colors are more somber on the Saturn than they are on the PlayStation, where on the PS1 they appear to be more brighter. So the overall darker image, in my opinion, actually helped make the game a little scarier. And also the load times, which are a little bit longer going through one door to the other, actually kind of upped the fear factor for me. Because even though I knew what was going to happen, there was a little bit of delay there, moving from one room to the next. It's like a dramatic pause. Yeah, exactly. Instead of it being a nuisance, it was it actually was kind of an asset. It's kind of interesting you thought that way. I heard a lot of people that said the exact opposite, where they thought it was annoying, but I kind of like the fact that, that you're, you saw it from an angle where there's like a dramatic pause, like a, a hold your breath moment, go through the door. Yeah, like absolutely. I mean, I, I get the frustration that other players had, but for me, I looked the other way. So it, it was beneficial for me. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. I mean, when I played that game, I, I thought the same thing. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm like in the mentality of the characters where it's like you're grabbing the door. <sighs> all right, here we go. What am I going to see next? Waits just a little, but it just takes a little bit longer to get that door open, which I can imagine is the seek time on the Saturn itself, you know, trying to get the data off the disk to load the next room. But because it took a little longer, it, it made it a little more suspenseful. Nice. Uh, one of the questions I had for you is, I know you sped run this game, or at least not world record speed run, but you speed run it quite a few times. And I'm curious, what is your what is your thought process going through it? Do you have a method for, for trying to get through it as a timings you got down or like techniques to get through it without dying once 
I do. I have a lot of techniques, a lot of techniques that I taught myself and ones that I saw from other people running the game. I notice a lot of uh, people who go for a world record, they never pick up the shotgun, where I never, when I run with Jill, I never use the handgun, not even once. I throw it in the trunk and you never see it again, for, for starters. And then there's that, that bizarre maneuvering that I did when I was fighting Yon, the giant snake. That technique I found on my own, just out of boredom or just out of experimenting when I was playing the game as a kid. Yeah, I I'll have to the, use that. I waited at the back of the attic and let the snake come around to try to get me. When the snake finally curls around on the other side, I run inside of him. I mean, I get blocked for a moment, but I get out of there scathe-free. Nice. What, what's your recommendations for avoiding the zombies? Because that's, that's my biggest issue. I just like conserving my ammo a lot. and My right, strategy well, at first was shooting them and knifing them when they're down, but it kind of didn't work as well as I thought it would. Well, an up-close shot with a shotgun is an instant decap. That's an instant head blow off of just one shot if you really can't run around them. It's fast, it's convenient, and it's just one hit when you're close enough. Getting around them, that all depends on the zombie itself and its position. Because if, if you run, if you can get behind their back and then run past them, they won't be fast enough to turn around and grab you. You'll zip right by them. However, if you try to run by them when they're facing you or at the right angle to grab you, they will lock onto you. No, no there's no getting around that. But there are some zombies that will try to throw up on you instead of grabbing you like the ones in the hallway on the second floor just past where the overhead dining room area is. Think, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I think so. That's the, the first place you enter, right? Or is that somewhere else? It's, it's a on stairwell. The second it's a stairwell. It's on the second floor. It's dimly lit. It looks The lighting kind of looks like a sunset glow. You know what I mean? I think so. You said it was a dining room? No, it's on the second floor, and it's one room past the balcony of the dining room. I gotcha. Yeah, I kind of get an idea with that. In that hallway, when you run through there, the zombies will always try to throw up on you first before trying to bite you. You run right by, they never get you. Oh, wow. I didn't even notice that. So they, they're yeah. all, they'll always throw up on you? They will always try to throw up on you first. You just run right by. They don't have a chance. You move too fast for them to for the throw up to hit you because it's a, it's a slower attack than an instant grab. I gotcha. And that's and that's all. That's 100% of the time or only when you first enter the room? That is every time you enter. I believe awesome. after they throw up or try to throw up on you, they will try to grab you afterwards. But by that time, you're long gone. Yeah, I know what he's talking about now, Sam. I, I know where that room is. That'll definitely come in handy for my next playthrough. Yeah, if you uh, can get them on the on their side, or if you can get them on the back, or get them around from the back, you can zip right by them. My experience with Resident Evil, as I played it on the N64, I played Resident Evil 2. There's the there's the first Resident Evil game I've ever played. I never had a PS1 growing up. I only had an N64. So every time I'd want to play Resident Evil 2, it was always on the N64 with the a weird low-res soundtrack, the low-res graphics, but I really enjoyed it. I would always ask my grandma after I got she picked me up from school to go and rent it. Yeah, so I, I, st I actually still want to get a copy of the 64 version, but the only uh, gripe with that I've heard is that the menu apparently is in 480i while the gameplay is 240p. Yeah, so if I play that game through the Meister, I'm just going to get constant black screens. I'm better off with the CRT. It looks better on the CRT anyways. It's pretty awful looking on the Frame Meister, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's coming from somebody that... That's like N64 bad, so... Knowing that, it's like twice as bad. Oh, yeah. Ugh, ugh. It's Yakapaka, but... Uh, yeah, that was the first one I played. The first Resident Evil 1 version I played was actually on the GameCube with the remake. But I went back to the original, and... I know this might sound controversial, but I really like the PS1 a lot better. And I ended up playing the Saturn a little bit later... And I really, really enjoy the Saturn version a lot more than the PS1 version, in my opinion. Just as all those bonus features, but but yeah, I'm really excited to play it, play it eventually though, and beat it 100. percent 
I always went for the best ending when you say 100%. Yeah, I'm going to try to aim for that too. But uh, Peter, what do you think about it? What were your experiences with Resident Evil? Well, yeah, okay, so I've got a bit of a confession. I've not really finished Resident Evil. In fact, I haven't really gotten very far at all. So and I, I, so I'm the guy that you know lives under the rock who hasn't even played any other Resident Evil games. So I, I guess I'm just going to pose a few questions out there. So for players like me that haven't played through it and that don't really have you know long stretches of time to to play games, how should I approach Resident Evil? Because I know that like you can't really save at will, can you? Like you have from what I understand you there's ribbons to save and there's only so many of them so yeah what would you recommend for for a player like me that's first of all never played it and second of all can't really do gaming in any more than you know relatively short bursts i think you should uh, consult sam on that he is probably your go-to on time management and resident evil so take it away sam whenever you're gonna play resident evil especially the first one especially on the saturn what you need to do is you need to absolutely forget about saving the first couple times you play and you just need to go balls to the walls um i say that because resident evil was the very first saturn game i ever owned okay it was the very first new game i ever owned period not a bad start no not at all uh it was october 4th of 1997 was the day i bought it it was the same day i got my used saturn now whenever it comes to Resident Evil specifically, there are numerous ways to speed run it. You can go for best ending, you can go for worst ending. I mean, it, there's there's numerous endings besides just best and worst. But if you're new to the genre, if you're new to Resident Evil itself, especially the original, I mean, what me and Chaz can both tell you there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are wrong with Resident Evil, um, gameplay wise, from an intuitive standpoint. You just it doesn't seem to be the correct way to do things if you come from like platformers or even like first person shooters during that period of time. It's just, it's, it's, it makes you think about things. And the item inventory management really screws with you if you're not knowing what's coming ahead because you'll, do, you'll be doing a lot of backtracking. The first time I ever beat the game, it took me like the better part of three and a half, four hours to beat it. And that was playthrough. In fact, the first night I had that game, I literally sat there trying to fight Yawn all night and continuously dying over and over and over and over. And I wasn't ever saving my game, so I had to keep starting over. But best thing to do, honestly, is go in and just play with the mechanics. Try to find out where stuff is. Because that's the only way you beat that game quickly. That's the only reason I can run those knife only like what Chaz was talking about. I know how the enemies react. In fact, I learned something from Chaz. He taught me about what the um, what the hunters do, how they attack. They're left-handed. I never thought about that. And then in a subsequent playthrough after he told me that, I noticed that it was a hell of a lot easier to dodge them whenever I was going for the opposite side. You know, whenever, whenever I was tackling it from the perspective thinking, well, they're left-handed. So you can always learn new things. I mean, this is a 20-plus-year-old game, and we're still learning stuff about it. And it's just the nature of how the game plays, how item placement is, how you have to plan it out. I mean, for a long time, there was, like what Chaz was talking about with the with the picking up the shotgun. That was, whenever it came to speedrunning, the, the way to speedrun back in the early 2000s was straight up with Jill. No one messed with Chris. And every single time you went for the shotgun. And I've seen people just like what Chaz has talked about, how he plays now. They've thrown the script on it. I see people that can beat the game quicker with Chris now than they can beat it with Jill. And the main reason that that's a factor is because Chris is the hard mode. You have less inventory slots, so you have to make more trips to the inventory boxes. But still, if you know how to do it, I mean, I've seen people literally run entire segments of the game without 
even having a weapon on them. Or if they do have a weapon on them, they've literally just got the shotgun with the, the rounds in it. They don't have any extra ammunition. They'll have like, you know, a first aid spray or whatever the case is, but they're very limited in what they bring with them. And that's kind of the only way you can run that game quickly is to know I'm going to need this. This might happen. I might need a first aid spray. I'm going to need this many rounds to take care of it. And I'm like, Chaz, I'm ditching, I'm ditching the pistol as quick as I possibly can. But you know, that's it's, it's trial and error, dude. It's going to suck your first couple of times. You're going to be pissed off at it, but you just got to keep playing it. Well, you know what? Okay, so I'm going to try and give it a go on Halloween, and I'm going to isolate. Like, I'm not going to look at any YouTube videos. I'm not going to read any strategies. I'm just going to give it a go because I'm going to be coming in with you know zero expectations aside from just the super general stuff that everybody knows about it, and we'll see how it goes. You know, I'll give it a go. We'll, we'll give it a go. Gotcha. I mean, personally, if, if you're really to run it. I know for a fact people will recommend playing the remake. And I know that's going to be anti-Saturn, but I kind of would recommend playing the remake over the the first one just because I think it's the same game, but I think it's a lot a lot more cleaner, a lot mechanics are a little bit better in my opinion, and I like playing it a lot better. But to me, the remake is how to remake a game. It's mm-hmm. it's just, it's just that phenomenal. Are you guys talking about Resident Evil Zero on GameCube? No, no there's no, the no, remake Resident Evil of the on first one. GameCube. The remake of the first one. It is just fantastic. You don't have to play it. You don't have to play it on GameCube though. It's had so many remasters. You can play it on PS4. You can play it on Xbox One. You can play it on PC. You can play it on PS3. You can play it on just about every platform. Imagine. You can play it on your smartphone. But yeah, but why would you want to do that? To kind of go back to what Patrick said though, and I agree that Resident Evil Remake is an amazing game. I absolutely love it. But Resident Evil Remake is not Resident Evil. It is the story's been swapped up positions have been swapped up the mansion has been expanded in a lot of respects it's a very different game right mechanic wise it's not going to play like the original did the hitboxes are different the, the computer behavior is different anybody have any closing uh, statements before we move on to the next game real quick when they were first making the first game shinji mikami was not originally involved they brought him in to work on the game because mikami understood what was scary but mikami didn't want to work on the game at first because he hated being scared Wow. How ironic. Yeah, yeah funny, huh? <laughs> yeah, that, that dude that dude straight up hated horror games. Yeah, he made some of the best, even like even like or evil with ends. Wanna move on to our next game on the list, which is of course The House of the Dead. All right, so let's move on to our next game, which is going to be House of the Dead on the Sega Saturn. It originally came out on the Model 2 in 1996 in arcade, and the game was a light gun game where you play as... You play as Ronald Ronald Reagan. Reagan, yes. Rogan. You play as Rogan and G, 
two agents of the EMS trying to stop this guy from this guy from creating these zombies and taking over the world. You know, the plot wasn't really clear on that. I didn't know what his motivations was. I don't think his name was Goldman as well, right? It was... Curian. Curian, yeah. So, Dr. Curian. And yeah, it came out on the Saturn a couple of years later in 98, and unfortunately it wasn't the, <laughs> the best with very not-so-great graphics and very laggy and a lot of issues playing it. Yeah, so, we uh, talked last year at length about House of the Dead because it was, I think, it was my pick for most thematic Halloween game you know, out of all the options that we had uh, gone through. This was a technical struggle for a lot of people, and I think my takeaway from it was that you know, as rough as it looked, and it, it didn't look anywhere near as pretty as the arcade one did, but I still thought it was actually pretty fantastic and true to the arcade in play feel as opposed to look. I definitely agree, Kay. I actually found the lag to make it a, little, a lot more funnier playing it, where it's like, especially on the, the bat, the, I think it was the third boss with the bat guy, where it's just going insane, where it's just lagging completely. It was hilarious. And it's still one of my favorite Saturn games, despite all its technical issues. So I guess I'd like to open the floor see what you guys thought of it. Well, to be honest with you, I have to make a confession in this. Yes, I've played House of the Dead numerous times and House of the Dead 2, both of which I've played in the arcade. And to be honest with you, I've played more of them in the arcade. I wasn't a huge light gun dude. I really wasn't huge in light gun games. I was more into RPGs. I was more into you know, action adventure or you know even first person shooters, especially during the late 90s. I just really didn't partake so much in like games like House of the Dead. I loved them in the arcades. I loved grabbing that gun. I, I mean, hell, Gunblade New York are my all-time favorite, you know, arcade games. And I really enjoyed it there, but it was never really... I know I know everybody puts it as a, a horror game, but to me, it never really was like a horror game. It was just, just this really weird, you know, light gun game that there was monsters and, and crap like that. And I mean, yeah, I, I could see why it's a horror game for some people, but I just, I, I don't know. It just, it never really struck me as that. It was just, it was like the, what was it? The, the Aliens versus Predator arcade game is the same, the same way. You know, it kind of felt that way to me. It's just point and click and shoot and kill everything big enough to die. That's basically what my mindset was. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I think I never played it on the, I didn't play it on the Saturn until probably the early 2000s. I didn't have a copy of it myself. I didn't even have a stunner, you know, until the early 2000s. I don't know. I'm not really going to be able to give much into it because it's not one of my huge favorite games. I mean, be honest with you, my buddy AJ from Mastercast TV, Andrew Rosa, he could, he could talk for hours on hours about House of the Dead probably, but. For me personally, it's just another light gun game. It's a cool game, but it's it's for me it's in the arcade, and I was never really big into the arcade at home, so that, that's me. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Sam. I really played most of House of the Dead in the arcades, and actually, I actually didn't know it had a Saturn port or a port at all until years later, which is the reason why I got the Saturn that and Virtual on because I really wanted to play those arcade games without trying to hunt down an arcade somewhere that had them. I definitely agree. I got a lot more arcade play, but now that I have Saturn play, I don't have to go to the arcade anymore. Okay, maybe I have to do a little bit if I want to play it competently, but you guys know what I meant. Though. <laughs> uh, my experience is relatively identical to both yours. I love the arcade original. Uh, the Saturn version, it plays incredibly faithfully, like you both said, but of course the graphics are rushed because it was technically unfinished. My understanding is Tantalus was the one porting the game and Sega allegedly told them to just wrap it up as it was. 
which would explain why it looks the way it does, if that's correct, of course. But again, for home, it plays very faithfully. It follows the original arcade version right down to the roots of uh, every enemy that shows up, where they show up, the paths that you can take. It's all there. It just doesn't look as pretty as it could have. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Chaz there. I'm pretty sure that back in the day, the official Sega Saturn magazine was reporting that Sega did kind of hurry Tantalus up to get the game all finished up. And what had happened is, in my playthroughs anyways, I noticed that some areas look relatively okay, and other areas look pretty bad, like there's some really low-res textures going on. Shockingly bad, in fact. So uh, it turns out that some of those were just placeholder textures that Tantalus was going to ultimately replace with some higher-res stuff, and they just never had the chance because they ran out of time. So, you know, there are some areas, like I said, that look okay, they're, they're passable, and other areas that just... They, they, do, they do look really rough. God, it looks so ugly in comparison to the arcade version of it. The Gosh. other thing, too, with me was, like, initially, if you play the game on Saturn, you get green blood, so you don't get the original red blood, and you have to, you know, enter a secret code, and then you can activate red blood, and that's just, I guess, you know, indicative of the era that the game was uh, released in, because nowadays, of course, that would not even be remotely an issue. But yeah, back in the day, unless you enter that secret code, it you got green blood going on. There's there's one more thing I want to mention about the game, and it it's it'll drive anybody who has OCD just up the wall. And it's the fact that on the the cover of the uh, North American version, the Sega Saturn lettering is facing the wrong way, and it is literally the only title that has this issue. And it Thank is God. yes, no kidding. And actually, what I'm super thankful is that on the spine, it is correctly oriented, so that at least if you got you know your games on a shelf, it doesn't stand out. But looking at it, like I mean, whoever. Whoever let that pass through quality control, they need to be spoken to in a very firm manner because that's just not acceptable. Probably the same guy who, who forgot to put the, the siding of a stall on there. Or how about yeah. the guy that flipped the Saturn logo upside down on Rayman? I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I, I think that people just didn't care. I mean, it was like one of the last Saturn games released. And it's like, yeah, let's just rush it out the door. No one's going to buy it anyways. Console's dead. If, if somebody hadn't said something, I likely never would have noticed that upside down lettering on the front cover. Yeah, I have to agree with Chaz on this. I didn't actually notice that until somebody pointed that out to me. I, I feel so poorly about that now. I'm sorry, guys. It just it, Thanks. It's one of those things that just drives me, though. All right, well, I'm going to go get some uh, razor blades and go fix that issue on my copy. Be right back. Do what you got to do, man. Got to cut up a $250 game. That's oh, I thought like you were going to like use them to like razor blade your eyeballs. My bad. Jeez dark peter but i do appreciate your effort for trying to stick with the theme now, speaking of that if you really want to play it i think everyone in the chat would recommend just getting a japanese copy as it's the u.s copy is like 250 to 300 dollars and a japanese copy is a lot less than that it's probably 10 percent of that cost so like 20 to 30 dollars i think nowadays probably less if you can get a good auction just uh, my, my personal opinion on it is a backup or run a Model 2 emulator on your computer. How are you supposed to play the light gun then? A mouse. It's a hell of a lot better than a light gun. Does that work on the emulation? Oh god, yes. Well, sorry guys, podcast over, I gotta go do this, be right back. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it use a cursor tracker too? Yeah, I didn't it know. does. It does. Did they have to yes. modify the ROM for that or was that in the arcade ROM itself? 
I mean, the, the, the emulator, all the emulator is doing is recognizing the mouse as the as the the on-screen cursor. That, that's basically all it's recognizing. It, it's tracking the movement of your of your weapons. Literally, all, all the Model 2 emulator does is it tracks your mouse movement the exact same way that the CRT is tracking the movement of the, um, the light gun. It's the same. I mean, you have to calibrate every single game. You calibrate every single time. It kind of sucks because just by nature of it being an emulator, it's not perfect. Getting some of the games, especially like um, Virtual Cop and Virtual Cop 2, to actually be in sync is kind of off-putting. But generally speaking, if somebody wants to play House of the Dead 2, play it on an emulator on a PC. Like, seriously, that is your best experience. I know we're all Saturn fanboys, but your best time is going to be playing it on the PC, especially considering the fact that you have endless credits. Or go buy an arcade machine of it. I mean, you can do that too. If you have the room and money for it. I actually saw a really good deal. I had like saw it for $200 locally, but I just didn't have the space to put it anywhere. So I, I'm still sad I didn't pick that up. Oh, jeez, that's a loss. Hey, dude, I, I turned down a time crisis to um, double cab for like $200. So, I mean, I feel your pain. Sadness. Well, we move on to our next game, which is, of course, in my opinion, probably one of my favorite games of all time, uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. So where do I start with this one? Originally released on the PS1 in October of 1997, and about a year later on the, on the Sega Saturn. Basically, it was Koji Igarashi's love song to Castlevania and Metroid combined together into what probably defined an entire genre called the metroidvanias i'll just uh, give everybody my sort of take on first of all the game so i've never played the playstation version but i've played the saturn version through several times you know both through the regular castle as well as the inverted castle love the game i think it's phenomenal it's relatively english friendly on the saturn because of course it's a japanese only release so even if you've never played the the english playstation version it's not so bad to follow the japanese game i mean you know there's the odd cutscene, but it's not too bad and then also you know you have to sort of get around your inventory screens with some trial and error, it's not so bad, and it's relatively, you know, easy to get to. And so, you know, I know a lot of people say that, obviously, the PlayStation 1 version is the way to go. It is much superior, and I understand, you know, the technical aspects of why the Saturn port isn't everything that it could and should have been. But that said, if your only experience has been with the Saturn game, it's a great, great title. I absolutely love it. It's super enjoyable. And I especially love the soundtrack by Michu Yamane. She did a fantastic job. It's it's like a blend of a whole sort of range of different uh, musical styles. You've got a bit of classical in there, some metal, some techno, and a bunch of others. And, you know, the other thing that sort of surprised me when I played it is the variety that you get in the game. I mean, you've got literally hundreds of different enemies, and they're all super varied, and so... You know, lo- lots of uh, sprite work, and the levels themselves are really well done. Like, it's a really gorgeous game to look at. Uh, you know, they did a really good job with it. I totally recommend it. I actually was able to beat it on the Saturn on my first playthrough. And that being said, I would not recommend it for a first playthrough, just because it requires a little bit of Japanese to know where you're going. 
especially in the library shop where you buy items and figuring out what all your relics do. It'd be kind of a hassle if you haven't played the PS1 version or know what it says in English. I mean, I know when I played through, I had to use a guide to be able to know what half of the things said and what half the items did. So if you do play it, I would recommend either playing with a guide or, in my opinion, starting on the PS1 version. That being said, though, I think Castlevania is a really slick game and it's really a lot of fun, even with all the technical lagginess added to it. Yeah, well, Peter covered it pretty well. Uh, what what he likes about it, and, and uh, what what still makes it fun to play, despite the obvious technical flaws when it was moved over to the Saturn. Because I didn't hear uh, Peter cover this, but the game got ported over by KC Nagoya, who apparently wasn't familiar with the Saturn architecture, and so they cut a few corners and made a lot of and made a few shortcuts or compromises to get the game working on the Saturn, rather than optimizing it to make it just play as well as it could have, which is what yeah, hurts me the most. Yeah, there's actually uh, notes that they left inside of the game code that actually talks about their issues with the game and developing for it. It's really that's, interesting. That's cool. I'll have to look at that. There's like, <laughs> yeah. there's like five or six developers that said, Hi, my name's this guy, and yeah, we had some issues getting this out, but we're really proud of what we've done, and we really hope you enjoy it. So it's really that's heartfelt. It's all in Japanese, but I would recommend if you guys go on the Cutting Room Floor website, it has a translation of what it says, and it's it's really it's really cool. I wish there'd, there'd be more games like that that like gives the developers one one on one like a behind the music of making the game. That's really cool. I'll have to I'll have to read that when I get a chance. But yeah, despite the issues, whether minor or major, the game was still fun for me. I still had a lot of fun playing it on the Saturn, and I was very familiar with the PS1 version because, like most, that's the one I started with. So having to see the game and experience it in a different light was still a nice change, despite the the technical issues that the game had. Because I get irked by that because I know it should have been better. You know, a, a 2D game on a 2D powerhouse of a system that plays objectively plays worse than on a system that does not do 2D well, which is what irks me the most. But despite all that, I still had a lot of fun with it. You know, getting the rare, completing the maps, uh, completing the bestiary, uh, getting all the rare drops. You know. One crystal in each hand, just mowing everything down with two of those in my hands. Yeah, I love going through that game when you're OP and just like wrecking everything. Oh yeah, it's just such a blast. What's your go-to items? Like when I played, I did. I think I did the the highest highest one-handed sword, and I used a a dagger for those quick attacks and quick uh, ganks. Yeah, in the beginning of the game, I was using my I used my knuckles a lot until I would get later get the jeweled knuckles, which you can get early per a certain trick because. Fighting with your fist is a lot faster than swinging a sword one tap at a time. So that allows me to pop off some hits faster as, you know, using a knife early in the game. You know, those quicker hits. Until I get to near the end of the game and just get a chrysogram in each of my hands. And like I said, I'm a walking lawnmower. Everything I walk into, I just cut it down. Yeah, I had to admit I cheated a little bit on some of the bosses where... I can't remember what the item layout was, but it's the thing where basically you run to the shield and it like just cuts down your damage by a ton. Oh, yeah, 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 that trick. No, I never tried that, but I am aware of the trick where you pull your shield out and put it back while you're backdashing, which apparently cuts down a lot of frames, so it gets you to move across the map faster. I gotcha. I haven't tried that trick. It's like a it's like a special move you can do with an input. It's right. been a while, I, so I, I don't remember, but yeah, if you, if you use that move, it's basically OP heaven. Yeah, I don't know how many frames you have to do that, but you know, speedrunners have been able to do that consistently with little error. I and definitely to, am not in that category. And to close to close off my word, my input on it, I'm going to quote Koji Igarashi, who is quoted as saying, I can understand why players would be interested in those other features, but I really, really don't feel good about them. I couldn't put my name on that and present it to Castlevania fans. 
Those were his words. For the Saturn version? Yeah, for the Saturn version. He was not happy about it. Good thing I didn't have him autographed. That. I, I actually brought that to E3 to get him an autograph, but I never found him, so probably oh, like, throw it in my yeah. face. Like, what is this garbage? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool he was well, <laughs> And, and despite, you know, how sort of technically inferior the Saturn version is, it does have some exclusive levels and some items and, you know, the ability to play with all the characters right off the hop. So, I mean, you know, they, they tried. And so I can see the draw, especially if you're a Castlevania fan, to want to have both versions. They did. They did add some neat stuff. The garden, the the dungeon. Maria is now playable. It was playable right up from the get-go. And yeah. a funny little trivia... In the PlayStation version, the garden level is still there, but there's nothing more than a glitched-out save point if you manage to clip yourself below the floor. That's once you first start the game and you get underneath that entrance, right? That's the entrance, yeah. That's that uh, what looks like a manhole or uh, or like a, a basement like a basement bulkhead cover. That's where the garden is in the Saturn version. You can clip your way in there, but there's nothing more than a glitched save point in the PlayStation version. Yeah, because I know in the... Actually, I know it's open in the beginning of the game, so like if you start up immediately... You can potentially get in there, but Chaz was saying it was a glitched out mess. So do you guys know whether the two Saturn exclusive levels, like they, they were obviously built from the ground up for the Saturn, whether they still feature those sort of stretched out graphics or whether there's still any sort of artifacts? I mean, there shouldn't be, but I'm curious if they exist. Do you guys happen to know? Um, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid I don't know that off the top of my head because I do know that the Saturn versions resolution was stretched manually instead of being properly optimized but those levels don't exist on a functional level in the playstation version so i can't say for certainty if those levels are also stretched manually screen wise i mean if if alucard and the other sprites look the same then it's likely that the screen is stretched yeah it's probably still has that the whole game suffers from it but i think the enemies and things on there i noticed wasn't lagging as badly as it was with the rest of the game so I'm hoping that maybe it might be the case that they just optimized it properly. Yeah, that would be nice, but who knows? E- either way, playing it on any system, it's still a great game. To be completely honest with you, I, I have never been the biggest fan of, of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. It's it's not that it's a bad game. I just, I'm not really big into the whole Metroidvania. I love Metroid Fusion. I love some of the old school Metroids on the Super Nintendo I played over at my buddy's house. But I never really got big into the Castlevania. I just... I never was a really big side scroller guy. I've tried to talk about this a couple of times with um like Dave and everybody, and I've I've made entire posts about it on Facebook. The reason I love the fifth generation so much is because of 3D gaming. 2D gaming for me was just not. It, it was the Sega Master System. It was the Genesis, the Saturn, and the PlayStation just like blew my entire horizon up, and I pretty much just said screw 2D games. I just didn't want anything to do with 2D games for the longest time. I just wanted 3D all the time the bigger the sharper the cleaner the better no like Tony. yeah <laughs> the views of sam do not reflect sega saturn shiro's views and they're all his views alone and not anyone else's i mean it is what it is i mean there's people who don't like the games i like and i'm not saying i don't like symphony of the night i just i don't hold it to the huge praise that everybody else does it's done some remarkable things for gaming i mean the the the, the connotation of metroidvania i mean it's right there for you and I've gone back and I've played them. I will say this, I much prefer the 2D Castlevanias over the 3D attempts in the late 90s, early 2000s. I will say that in a heartbeat. 
but again, it's just it's not one of them games I've soaked hours and hours and hours into. I will say this though, Sega Lord X gave it a hell of a damn workout and really gave it some love on one of his videos a while back. And I, you could just go read the comments section and you will see what the community thinks. <laughs> All right, any last thoughts before we move on? I have very limited request list and that was on it so i, I did a, a limited run of that for a while nothing's really changed against our you know last year's show it's one of those that if you want to experience symphony of the night your best place to probably do that is going to be either playstation xbox live any of the numerous compilations that are out there playing it on the saturn version it, it never seemed worthwhile to me price if you want to own an original is just you know astronomic and while i i think i wanted to say i gave this thing a seven or something last year and it's not to say that the game in and of itself is bad it's just that you know there are better options out there if you wanted to experience it with that let's move on to our next game which is of course d that's it. D. Game developed by Warp and directed by Keiji Ino. And it was actually first published on the 3DO when it later came on the Sega Saturn, PlayStation, and MS-DOS a year later in 96. And essentially it's a one-save, one-go game. So you start on disc one, swap the discs over, and you keep going until you beat the game. And there's no save slots. I guess that sort of was the big concept of it. And they describe it as a deranged mist in a way, where you get a I guess you're in this hospital, you're in this area, and you just got to figure out how to escape it. I was a bit confused myself on the gameplay, I'm going to be honest. I started it off and I didn't know what to, much to do of it, so I'm not that great of it, but maybe you guys know a little bit more than I do and could give me some of the 411 on that. It's D is a psychological horror two-hour experience in the form of... It's a two-hour movie that's interactive, and it's a horror movie. And that's what it is. That that's what D is. It's it's literally, you got two hours, do this or you fail. And it's very it, high concept. The whole concept behind that is so simplistic, and would piss almost anybody off in that period of time, because I mean, even to this day, you got to sit down and play it. You just got to sit down and play it. There is no stopping. <laughs> I absolutely love it and I absolutely hate it if that tells you anything. Um, if I can get through it and no issues, no wrong turns, no bad decisions, because I mean, you've got, you've got the whole, you've got hints that you can have. It's a very, it's something you just need to play. If you got a pseudo Saturn cart, burn it. If you got a, if you got an emulator, play it. If you've got, you know, a universe, a Phantom Universal or any other mod ship, burn a copy and, and just put it in there, turn the lights out and play it it's a really interesting game i tried playing it and i never really could get the hang of it but to be honest i haven't sp i didn't spend a lot of time playing it i just sort of wandered around and got lost it seems like something i need to put a lot more time in to be able to get good it's actually pretty sad though that kg you know who passed away in 13 didn't really do much beyond d after that he did some any high concept games i mean after d2 it's he sort of like sort of dropped off and worked on worked with another company, so they didn't really create much more, which is kind of a bummer. Rest in peace, buddy. Yeah, I mean he did one game on the Wii, uh, Yumi and Cubes, and a couple contract games to the iPhone and stuff. But beyond that, it, it's kind of sad though. I would have loved to see more high concept games like this. If he would have lived today and he would have worked on something, especially in this Kickstarter era, I would love to get a D three or get some sort of psychological horror game like that. It's just really interesting to me. 
do you guys feel? Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of good feelings about it. What are those feelings? That are good? Well, let me. Exp- how about I explain those feelings? <laughs> no. Go for no, it. No, I won't. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing ads for D way back in the heyday when uh, when it was a new thing, when it was a big deal. I remember seeing screenshots of it. And I'm like, ooh, that looks like a fun, scary game. But when I was a kid, I never got around to it until the Saturn version all these years later when I ran it for us heroes and our fans. And as I expected, it was an interactive movie, that a mo- the movie that would only play out when I made the right decisions. And I put myself in the time frame of when it first came out playing it. I asked myself, what kind of expectations will, will, should I have for this game? What did this game accomplish back then? How would, it, how would I feel about it today? And I felt really positive about it for the most part for... What it was, what it was trying to do, and what it aimed to do—you know—to be innovative, to be to, to keep you guessing, puzzle design, pushing the movie aspects of a video game—you know, trying to really get the most you can out of rendering a movie. I think, if I remember correctly, the movies were rendered with Amiga 32 computers. Did I get that right? I believe so. Yeah, I think That's so. Crazy. And it was also, I believe, the first version was the 3DO version. Is that correct? Yeah, I mentioned that it yeah, came it out the first on the 3DO. 3DO. It was Amiga. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, in Japan, uh, it actually gave the 3DO some brief momentum. Like, it got, it garnered more of an interest of the public when that game came out. Yeah. Unfor- uh, though, unfortunately for myself, I wasn't able to finish it live as I was new to the game before. And I didn't know that the puzzle answer for that safe was 78. Because apparently I I must have, I was probably supposed to see the number in a cutscene, but I missed it. I mean, now that I know the solution, it's it'll be a walk in the park. But unfortunately that's likely what cost me the majority of my time which is why i didn't finish the two-hour limit so i definitely got to go back and finish it and see the ending for myself is like uh sam has been like how sam has been talking about it i'm sure it's worth it right sam dude like okay i'm not gonna spoil it i'm not gonna spoil the story of the game that's all right but like if you if you there's one key thing you have to do through the... I mean, because it's, it's it's a movie. If you don't play it out like it's supposed to, like you just said, it's not going to work. If you miss one thing and you manage to get to the end and you come across Laura's father, Dr. Harris, you are going to have, have a very bad time. You're going to have a very bad time or he's going to have a very bad time. And it's all based on one item that if you do not find it, you can continue on with the story if you don't find it. But if you don't find it, it's bad times. If you find it, it's it's bad times for him. And it, that, that's what's cool about it. The, the movie will be over either way. I mean, there, there's really two endings. There's two final endings to the game. There is the good ending and then there's the bad ending getting into the nitty-gritty of the background story. It's a really screwed up game. It's a, it's a screwed up story and it's awesome. <laughs> Do we have any final thoughts before we move on? I'm just going to chime in for a second. I know it's a two-disc set on Saturn. And like some Saturn games that were multi-disc games uh, in North America would have come out with, you know, those soft cardboard sort of slips. And then others came with, you know, the hard second tray that would click into the North American uh, Saturn jewel case. And D was one of those games that had the sort of hard second disc tray. And I lost mine. And it is super frustrating because even with the replacement cases that are coming out now from limited run games as well as the other ones there, you know, nobody's producing that second insert tray. And so trying to find one of those has been a nightmare. So just something to keep in mind if you're looking for a complete copy. It doesn't come with the soft... Uh, sort of insert CD holders. It does have that hard tray. 
One, one thing, Peter, Command & Conquer is another North American release that had the exact same thing. So if you, by some chance, cannot find a complete copy of D, whereas it's a very expensive game, Command & Conquer is generally a cheaper game. And if you can find a complete copy of that, that has its tray, vis-a-vis, you can swap them out. So how much did it jump up, D? How much is D? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, how much? Because last time I checked, it was like around 40-ish. I might have just seen somebody asking that much, but I could have swore I saw somebody like had a sale for like eighty dollars on a Facebook group just a couple of days ago. Wow! If that version's eighty, then what does the PlayStation version sell for? No, I mean I'm showing eBay options right now, complete with thirty two ninety five. Buy it now. Oh well, never mind. I mean, in that case, both of them are cheap. Command and Conquer is only like what forty most of the time. I know that there were multiple games that came out with those trays, like Command and Conquer is definitely one. So is Creature Shock. One of the digital pictures releases had them. And I mean, so did Mr. Bones. So, Pat, if you ever pick up a copy of Mr. Bones, once you're done throwing the discs into the trash, if you could send me that extra tray, I would be super grateful. I actually, what I would do to correct you, I would stomp on the case directly so I can smash both the case and the discs at the exact same time. But now that I know you're looking for it, I will make sure to take the tray out, carefully place it next to it, put the discs raw in there, and just stomp away. So no need to worry, Peter. I got you covered. I'm, I'm going to stop the cast. on our next of Anime Stream with Pat and Guest, we're going to be watching him play Mr. Bones until he beats it. That sounds like a torture beyond that of man. It is a Halloween-themed show. It's horrific, not in the ways that you intend it to be. I'm going to break Mr. Bones my foot. Dude. <laughs> I had that extra tray as well. There's a lot of games that have that extra tray. I would say that it would be a... If they could come up with a better solution, even if it's you know such a small handful of games that utilize that, if you could imagine like any of the four-disc games that, you know no one wants to produce those cardboard sleeves for or you know at least at a reasonable price if they could adapt those you know two disc trays to become four disc trays right there's enough double or multiple disc games out there that that would be worthwhile i think dude i would love just to have a reproduction case for panzer dragoon and to have somebody make me a reproduction of two of this two and four oddly specific because i have disc one and disc three Oh, I but bought you it. want one with the art that matches, right? Yeah, I want one that's like literally would pass for real. Like, seriously. That's a bit I'm... dicey. It's yeah. just for me. It's for me. I'm not going to yeah. feel it. Well, what about if you're dying? It gets back in the wild. I don't okay. know, man. You live life pretty wild and crazy. I mean, I do. I ain't even going to lie. But I mean, just for me, I'd want it to, to look near perfect. I got two discs plus like 30 other games for 80 bucks back in like 2012. So I was like, yo. Okay, so we're going to move on to our last game, and that is Deep Fear. So... Deep Fear was uh, Sega's response to Resident Evil. Resident Evil came out and it was just a massive success. So, of course, Sega figured they had to do something right along those lines. So it came out in Japan initially and then it made its way over to Europe. And it was the very last official Saturn release over in Europe. 
And they were working on a build for the North American market, but by then the sun had set on the North American market and that game was never released. However, fast forward to several years past that, and we had the Lost and Found series of unofficial you know, releases slash compilations that came out. And the third Lost and Found volume actually contained the North American complete version of Deep Fear on it. I believe it was in a headers that you could differentiate that it was uh, a North American release. And if that's not correct, then somebody please by all means jump in and, and correct me on that. But this is the full NTSC release. It's fully translated. It's, uh, you know, perfectly playable and ready to go. You know, the save file system works just fine. So it's out there if you know how to find it, you know, burn a copy and play it. So uh, let's jump in and uh, get to some folks' thoughts. Anybody, uh, you know, give this game a go back in the day? Uh, not back in the day, but it was one of the first games I played when I first got my Saturn Burner course. I played it a little bit. I believe it was a North American Burner that it. I didn't run into any issues with it, any of the, the 50 hertz things, but I had a bit of a hard, tricky time playing it. The copy I had kept freezing up constantly, so I was running into many issues and I didn't really get that far into it. But what I played from it was really fun, and I don't know what's with the C and deep inside of it being very, very scary, but for some reason it just kind of freaked me out a bit. So did anybody else feel that same way that it was a little bit creepier? I absolutely love Deep Fear. It is perfectly what Resident Evil 2 should have been, at least in regards to gameplay mechanics. Uh, I absolutely... Like, just the simple fact you can move and shoot. And no, I was not one of them people that managed to import a copy from, you know, Europe or Japan or anything like that. It's, you know, I was like you. It was the mid-2000s before I had a chance to play it. But I loved, I read about it in Game Informer, like 1999 or 1990. It had to have been 1998 because it would have had to been while, you know, the Sega Saturn was still relevant. But at some point it seemed like it was coming over here at least that's what i was reading into and you know i mean it never came so going at it in the mid-2000s after resident evil 4 had come on you know we had you know the silent hills that already rolled out there was all these other you know horror games to have something that was like a resident evil throwback and just completely this ain't even b-rated acting this is c or d level and it's just the idiocracy of it. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't know what your demographic is up on this, up on this cast, but I mean, you just got all of these flamboyant characters. And it's just like, oh my God, dude, I'll laugh my ass through it. But at the exact same time, it really does have some, some very, it's got some, some awesome horror tropes to it it's got some very cliche kind of things going on with it anybody who's ever played the game you know you find out oh this is all your fault why why you know and it's just it's it's so screwed up it's so janky and wanky i mean it's, it's got it's got numerous mechanical issues don't get me wrong i mean the game has mechanical issues out the out the yin yang but generally speaking i think it's a really fun game to get into uh you just kind of you've got to come at it not thinking it's a Resident Evil clone. I thought for the longest time it was a Resident Evil clone. And in some respects it is. 
but it goes on these tangents so much different than resident evil does i mean you got your oxygen supply you've got the ability to move while you shoot you've got you know you've got numerous points throughout the game where you basically have access to god knows how much you have the oxygen grenades I mean, it's, it's so out of the ordinary but at the same time it's it's very much in line with that idea of you know over the shoulder fixed camera angle you know survival horror of the late 90s i don't know i, I so wish it'd come to the states i really do because i would have probably jumped on it in a heartbeat considering how much i love survival horror at that point i did find it really interesting how diverse sega was at this time though i mean look at like all the games that came out within that time frame like that are so differential they had some teams working on like nights in the dreams had some teams working on house of the dead working on deep fear and yeah it wasn't all like the main am am teams but it was like all different sega departments and i always thought that was pretty interesting and something that i never seen nintendo do and like go all over with ratings like from like m hard m to a kitty e dude sega of the 90s was awesome dude sega of america's what screwed everybody over yeah at the end there in at 1997 z3 i know that they instituted what they called a five-star gaming policy game that didn't arbitrarily meet their sort of five-star quality control would be you know just wouldn't get released and it makes me wonder how many amazing you know titles just never saw the light of day over here because of that stupid policy probably a lot of them especially the rpgs because bernie solar didn't see any value in them bernie stoler's the devil there jimmy yeah bernie's fired i mean eventually but a little bit too late on that one just when he was actually getting good at his job. Stoller is not our future. Thank you. Thank you, Chaz Jesus. But yeah, it, it is a bummer to imagine what games could have been in the U.S. All we can do now is hope on those fan translations and play what we have. But I mean, honestly, though, whenever it comes to Deep Fear, you're, the only way that you're going to play that game legitimately is through a Japanese or a, a European copy. The PAL copy goes for what, like almost on par with like half of the going rate for a European Panzer Dragoon Saga. I mean, it's like 200 pounds at least. 200 euros, like something like that. Around $500 what I, was what I've seen, but to okay, be honest, well, I never see it for sale that often. I mean, it isn't. It was very limited release even there to my understanding, but my point is is that the game itself was originally supposed to come out in the States. I mean, what you're talking about with the, with the header to understand. I mean, the only difference between the PAL version and the American version is the refresh rate. It's the refresh rate and what it's optimized for. PAL version is 50 hertz, US version is 60. You know, we've got a bigger screen. In some respects, we have a slimmer screen. I don't know. I, I, I'm not that technical in it. But I mean, it's the exact same game, dude. It's the exact same game. We're There's never the no... same color. <clears throat> yeah, something like that. Dang it, Chess. I was about to make that joke. Yeah, I beat you to it. But, but my point is, is that the North American NTSC U version of the game does exist. And there's no legal way to buy it. So burn it. He means burn to play it. Don't don't set it on fire, please. I mean, you can do that too. 12 gallons of diesel solve, any problem. Sega Saturn Shiro accepts no responsibility for any fires caused by Sam's methods of burning games. If you put 12 gallons of diesel inside your Saturn, I promise you it's going to be fire real quick. Like It's probably going to burn your house down, call the fire, call the law, call everybody else, but you ain't going to be playing no games. Whew. Any last thoughts? Yeah, so I talked a little bit about this one last year also. 
And this was uh, on my list of games to dump for Redump Project. I've had an interesting little find since then. So as Peter mentioned, this was originally released part of the third volume of Lost and Found. And that volume made its debut and sold out here actually at what eventually became PRGE. Is uh, like the Northwest Computer Gaming Expo or something along those lines. And I completely missed it when it was for sale that year. But I ended up picking up my copy from eBay. And I don't know where it is at this exact moment, but it doesn't matter so much because the second disc of my three-disc set, so disc two for Deep Fear, has no data. Older games actually forgot to burn the data on my disc. Wow. Man, uh, How does that I, even I, happen? I feel for you, brother. <laughs> Poor quality control. So what is the story behind the Lost and Found, if, if you have time to share that? Well, I, I don't have uh, too much information about them themselves. I do know that the website, or uh, the domain name that was associated with them, uh, ended up getting purchased, and the new owners of that have nothing to do with those releases. So I may never find you know that person. John Hancock, who's a major collector out here and a good friend of mine, he actually also has a copy and he's going to let me dump his version. And when that happens, I'm debating as to whether or not to keep mine unused with no data on it just because it's such an oddity or to actually burn the data onto that disc. Haven't really decided yet. You should uh, swap Sam, out yours with John's. I don't see anything going wrong with that. Yeah, no way. <laughs> uh, they're all hand numbered. So. To be fair, though, I think if you burnt it, I don't think it's going to affect the value whatsoever, especially since it's already a burnt disc. A was it a CDR in the begin- right first place, right? Oh yeah, it's a CDR with a cheesy paper label on it. And it's I not gotcha. like it's anything amazing. It's just more of an oddity. Out of all the stuff that Satakore lists, right, that on Madrom's site, this one is one that he counts in the collection and lists it as ultra rare. I think there's like 50 copies or less, you know, of this particular game out there, or well, this particular packaging. But in the end, it really is just a burnt disc, blue bottom disc with a paper label on it that's been hand numbered, put into a white DVD case with a cardboard insert saying, please don't pirate this game. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really kind of funny. And I'm, I'm hoping to have it with me, um, PRGE. But Sam did make a a couple of mentions. There are only three files that are different when the analysis was done. The first .bin, or the boot file, was uh, what sets it as optimized for 60 hertz. The item.txt is a list of items, and it doesn't exist on the uh, European version. And then there's a slight bit of extra data, one of the sound files, or one of the files in the sound uh, subdirectory. Other than that, everything is exactly the same. And so... Yeah, I mean, this is all, all this information, you, know, you can always go to satakori.com, look up, found, and you'll find, you know, this information about it. I gotcha. This being our second annual Halloween episode, um, you know, we kind of knew what to expect for the major games and how we went about choosing the games to talk about this time around was just having everyone who's going to be on the cast throw a vote of you know the top five horror or Halloween-based themed games. 
And while going through the list, you know, some of the the ones that we've talked about already tonight um, were the major hitters. You know, your Resident Evil, your House of the Dead, Castlevania. So these are to be expected. What struck me personally as hilariously interesting was some of Peter's choices. So Peter, would you go ahead and talk about your choices here that did not make our main cut? Okay, yeah, so there's definitely a couple of games that uh, I put forward that I thought had a good Halloween-slash-horror theme. And the first game on that list is Swagman. So Swagman was programmed by Core and published by Eidos, and it actually only got a Saturn release in Europe, so it, it never came out over here. But it is not PAL-optimized, so if you have a means to get a hold of the game and, and play it here, you're going to get, you know, the full experience. You're not going to have, you know, lost graphics or anything like that. And so the game is about two kids, Zach and Hannah, and they're stuck in their house and trying to fight off the evil Swagman. And I know that maybe the name Swagman doesn't exactly inspire fear, but, you know, there it is. It's, it's a very evil-looking character really sharp teeth and he's trying to attack them in their dreams and so they've got to sort of work their way through their house while they're dreaming and then there's also sections where they jump into a dream world and so they transform into these like monsters and then they can fight using you know like claws and they have a fire breath and all these other interesting attacks but the premise of the game is that they're fighting through all of this while they're asleep and so you know your life meter so to speak is just how many z's you currently have you know to indicate that you're asleep and as you take hits and whatever you're running out of z's and so as you completely run out of z's you wake up and so you're trying to find more z's and you can find z's by essentially running over people that are actually sleeping as well so if you find your parents bedroom they're sleeping together like just sleeping and you can pick up their z's and then you know later you can find your cat and he's sleeping and so you can pick up his z's anyways the game really reminds me of Zombies Ate My Neighbors. It's that sort of gameplay. So it's an overhead 2D sort of explore the house type of game. But the music is really sort of creepy and spooky. And there's a lot of sort of horror slash Halloween-y themes throughout the game. So, you know, the, the part that I'm at right now in the game, I've just defeated the evil pumpkin boss, where it's this big giant pumpkin head and he's got two sort of viney, clawy arms and he's trying to grab you and throw fire at you and all this stuff and, and you have to defeat him and proceed and so you know there's the overgrown garden you have to fight through and you know you, you get to the basement and you, know, you have to collect bugs so it's really sort of a very Halloween-y type of game so I really recommend it. It took me by surprise I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I'm enjoying it and like I said it's it's not optimized for uh, PAL displays so it'll display just fine you know on our TV sets so uh, yeah I absolutely recommend it. It is available in North America on the PlayStation 1 but since we don't care about PlayStation it's definitely good to call out that the European Saturn game is fully playable in 60 hertz and there's no issues with it whatsoever Whatsoever. You know, it's definitely a game that harkens back to the time that it was released in. You know, like some games end up being completely timeless and whether you pick them up and play them today or you pick them up and played them 20 years ago, you still get that awesome experience. This is definitely a game that you've got to put yourself in that 1997 mindset to really enjoy it. But, you know, once you get there and you're in that right mindset, it really is a blast. I'm having a ton of fun with it right now for sure. So... A quick tidbit on this too. Both this and Deep Fear are part of my 
uh, PAL game collection. So when I started going after my personal collection goal, the Saturn was to own one of every um, officially released game in English, and then in you know, like if there wasn't released in English, then to get it in whatever languages I could. So that would mean you know, like Deep Fear had to come from the European realm and swagman was actually one of those games that cost me a quite a pretty penny and then i forgot that i don't know how that you know possibly could have happened um but i forgot i owned it and i got a second copy and then one day i was you know sorting my game collection and i found i actually had three of them the demo which i had failed to uh, realize i had and then two copies of the hard box case for that you literally have swag well, not anymore. I think I either sold or um, have one of my copies of Swagman for sale at PRGE this year. But in, in any case, um, both Swagman and Deep Fear being released in English, I had to get them in whatever means. I gotcha. Yeah, and I happened to, back in the day, I picked up the demo of the European Swagman. And it's only just recently that I've sort of given it a spin. And once I completed the demo, I thought, you know what, this is pretty fun. I want to invest the time in this game. And that's sort of what got me into burning a, the, complete, the complete game to, to play through. All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the second game that I listed that has a bit of a Halloween theme. And that is Rainbow Islands. Now, Rainbow Islands is a late 80s Taito release, and it was featured on a two-game compilation that Acclaim released in North America called Bubble Bobble, also featuring Rainbow Islands. It's sort of weird how they sort of titled it Bubble Bobble and then just kind of added that, you know, it also features Rainbow Islands because I just, I love Rainbow Islands. I think it's super addictive. It's an amazing little game. So there's actually two versions of Rainbow Islands on that game disc, the original, or else, you know, I guess I should say a facsimile of the original, as straight a port as could be had, and then also a version of Rainbow Islands Enhanced. And that is essentially the exact same game, but it's been reskinned with slightly more modern graphics, so like an expanded color palette uh, and so on it's not you know it's not made to look fully rendered or you know awesome cutting edge 32-bit anything it's just sort of a a nicer smoother more colorful version of the late 80s original so it ends up looking really nice and by virtue of that it even looks really nice today like it's aged really well anyways the third level the third island that you visit when playing rainbow islands is called monster island and the entire world which is four levels is fully halloween themed so you know you get to fight little zombies and you know bats that uh, turn into draculas that shoot lightning at you and you know that's the level in the game where the difficulty really kind of picks up so you end up really switching over from trying to collect items for points and those little crystals to just trying to survive and using your rainbows to try to advance and you know get to the top of the screen and it's you know i mentioned this game because it's it's insanely fun it is super addictive and it's not really a game that a whole lot of saturn players would necessarily associate with the console you know it's out there and i definitely encourage everybody to give it a go and that little monster world the halloween themed uh, world is super fun and it's totally thematic and it's very cutesy it's certainly not realistic so you know it looks great and it plays fantastic so yeah definitely a game that is worth calling out for halloween and i'm curious if any of you guys have any experience with rainbow islands no unfortunately i never even heard of this game but now i'm kind of interested 
That's what I'm saying. Just about everything you talked about, I've never heard about it. If I have, like Swag Man, it was not in the context of the Sega Saturn game. You'd like it. It's a lot of fun. I'll have to give it a shot. Yeah, it's an easy pick-up-and-play, uh, two-player, arcade-style scoring game. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, uh, it's one of those games that's super easy to pick up and play, but, boy, are there ever layers and layers of depth in terms of, you know, how you progress, how you can attack, permanent power-ups that you can get if you cleverly collect things in a certain order. So, And even the scoring system is sort of cumulative in a certain clever way. So just lots of depth in what initially seemed like, you know, super pick-up, quick arcade-type game, but... Yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely depth there, for sure. All right, I will move on to the third game that I listed, and that is Midnight Love with River Alligator Takeshi-san. So this is a totally obscure Saturn title that I actually wrote about in one of my articles, and really the main reason that it's as obscure as it is is that I completely made it up. It doesn't exist, but most of you wouldn't have necessarily immediately picked up on that because there's a lot of really weird and obscure stuff uh, over in Japan. So, so yeah, that's it. There's no Midnight Love with River Alligator Takeshi-san available, and I'm really sorry if I got your hopes up. But, yeah, it, it doesn't exist. Are you serious right now? I spent, like, weeks trying to search for that game. You know me in anime dating games, Peter. I'm thoroughly disappointed. You know, well, you inspired me. I mean, when uh, you were talking about that one racing game where you were, you know, trying to trying to date various girls and then go on races with them, that totally inspired me, Pat. So thank you for that. On a slightly reverse note, I did play some Rainbow Islands back in the day, and I actually did like it. It's so different from Bubble Bobble, but you know, it is actually a sequel um, officially to Bubble Bobble. So it was kind of interesting and it's easy enough colorful enough that my kid play it and i i enjoyed it for that the last of our little quick mentions which is turning out to be not so quick is one that i've had in my collection for a while it has the distinction of being as far as i know the only eight disc saturn game released and it is called phantasm it only came out in japan most everything should be able to be played with its interface and, and such with only minor Japanese knowledge, however you want anything about the story, you might as well just play the U.S. version. I I hit this myself probably about three years ago. Uh, finally obtained a copy, and it's been on my you know two playlist forever. But this year I picked up a guide, so I'm going to take an attempt at playing through this game, the Japanese version, without looking at any spoilers because I never played it on the PC or anything else like that. How, pl- how playable was it in Japanese? With the en- was there any English voice acting? Did they keep that all in? And no, they. Uh, I think they redubbed all the voice acting and story uh, into Japanese. So it's going to be a I fun not, time. I have not played it yet, so I- I'm kind of looking forward to it in a way. Yeah, keep us in the loop. I'd definitely like to see how much you struggle with that, because I guarantee you're probably going to do that a lot. <laughs> That leads us to our Saturn Obscura of the evening, and Peter takes the cake with this one. Yeah, so one game that I've uh, spent a lot of time with is Cotton 2 Magical Night Dreams. And again, it's super Halloween-themed and doesn't really get a lot of mention. It was a Japan... Uh, Japan. <laughs> Sorry, a guys. Japanese guy. <laughs> British there, mate. Jeez. Hey, Krampus with the Queen, yeah? I'd like to play the Japanese game, please. 
I'll see you down at Scotland Yard, mate. So, yes, this was a Japanese-only release. It uh, was developed by Success, and they actually used the um, Titan arcade board to first uh, release it in arcades. And it very swiftly was ported over to the Saturn, and with it being a Titan arcade game, that, of course, guaranteed a virtually flawless translation to the Saturn. And, you know, this is a, a total 2D sprite fest. Loads and loads of sprites on screen. You know, very sort of fast and furious side-scrolling shooter action. And I mean, you're a witch on a broom. So if that doesn't scream Halloween, I'm not sure what does. You know, and the level's got like an underground lava land. And then you've got, you know, an enchanted forest. You're flying through abandoned castles. And, you know, all the enemies are either skulls or fairies or lots and lots of pumpkin heads. So it's absolutely really great Halloween-themed shooter if... Uh, you want to try uh, one of those out for Halloween. So there isn't really much of a language barrier with this game. I mean, it's a shooter after all. There is a little bit of a story to it, which is completely... You can't understand it unless you speak Japanese, but I took the liberty of seeing if I could translate it a little bit. And, you know, it's a very weird story. So the story is that of a little witch called Cotton, and she's a preteen little girl, and she loves eating willow candies. And so she's flying around one day, and she finds a willow candy in the forest, and it's not like one she's ever seen before, and so she eats it up. Anyways, as it turns out at the end of the game, that particular willow candy that she found was an artifact that was kept in the castle in the Pumpkin Kingdom, and because she ate it, the Pumpkin Kingdom now has lost its protection against monsters, which is why she had to sort of fight through all the different levels full of monsters. And so the ending sort of ends up being that... uh, you know, with, with her having eaten that willow candy, over time, the land falls into darkness and despair. So it's a really sort of weird and odd, only in Japan sort of storyline. But the game itself is gorgeous. The play mechanics are super fantastic. It's 100% Halloween themed and lots and lots of sprites. And it's just it's just a great game to pick up uh, and play. I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, what about you guys? Did anybody give uh, Cotton 2 a go? I actually played what I thought was Cotton 2 at a arcade, arcade event called Zapcon in Arizona a couple of years ago, I think it was 15, and I thought I was playing was Cotton 2, but it was actually Cotton Boomerang, which is the remix graphics and gameplay from the previous game, so that's the first experience I had with it, and I eventually played Cotton 2, and I realized it was not the same game because you couldn't select your characters. And I really love the game. I actually played bring it to Zap Game On Expo in Arizona when I did the Saturn games. And there was a lot of positive reception from that game. It was like a really cute game. I really enjoyed it. And probably one of my favorite Saturn shmups. That must uh, really look good on a PVM, huh? Yeah, it looks fantastic. It just those uh, scan lines are woo wee. Very sexy. But yeah, I really en- really enjoyed the game, and I think it's also a fun multiplayer game, especially when you can throw your friend at the enemies. And that's another mechanic I loved was the throwing mechanic, so you could throw almost everything. Like, you can throw enemies at enemies, you could throw fireballs. It It's just insane how diverse and different you can play that gameplay, and especially the mechanics with the, the different elements. So you can have wind, fire, ice, 
You know what? And that's one thing that really kind of stuck out for me is, I mean, being a shooter, I didn't really bother, you know, even opening the game manual or reading about it online before I played it. And I kind of noticed as I was playing it, wow, like there's a lot of different things you can do. Like obviously, you know, you have your standard shots, but then you can capture enemies and seal them like in your magic. And then you can throw them at enemies, like you were saying, Pat. And there's just a ton of depth to it. And so actually just the other day, I was looking through the Japanese manual for this game. And what I noticed that they did is which is a mixture of several different sort of syllabaries. And what they did is they wrote it all in in, in extremely simple uh, language. So I should be able to have a crack at translating that manual. And I don't think that I'll have too tough of a time. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, once I'm able to translate that manual, what else I'll discover. Because it's just, it's, it's a pretty interesting amount of depth that this game has had. And that, I didn't expect that. So it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I was definitely surprised in the depth of the gameplay of that, and that's really why I love it the most. It, it's just a lot of fun, especially, I actually didn't know you could pick up the crystals and throw that too, and bounce yeah. it back. The, the, the hell, was it the tea time? I didn't oh, know that. Right. Like, you know, you can get so many chains and combos going, like it ends up being pretty, it's got a lot of depth to it, and it's it's just a ton of fun. Definitely. I would definitely recommend it. You know what, I don't normally say this, but I think it's probably worth the price though. It's asking like a 120. This is the last time I was able to see the price, and I definitely think it's worth it if you want to buy it. Yeah, it's definitely not one of the cheaper uh, Japanese releases. Uh, neither is the sequel, Cotton Boomerang. But you know, there these are the games that really sort of show what the Saturn was capable of doing. They're tons of fun. They're super competent arcade translations, and they look fabulous in you know today's day and age. They've aged super, super well. Yeah, I did. I just wanted to give a special thanks to Peter for uh, helping me out with my playthrough when I played it live. Thanks again. I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Hey, my pleasure. Have you played that before the stream? Before the stream, yeah. In fact, I owned it before uh, before the Shiro concept got started. And it's pretty much already been said. It's a solid design. It's fun to play. And it's got a quirky combo system that works. It's just a, it's a, it's a good time. It's a good time on the Saturn. I can't complain about it. Do you also throw your friends into enemies when you do co-op? No, I can't really lift them up. Yeah, so there's definitely lots of articles that are going to be coming out in the next little while. I've sort of settled into, it's almost like a three-week interval between articles. Uh, Dropping just before Halloween is going to be Skeleton Warriors, which is an interesting, you know, side-scrolling 2D beat-em-up game. Another sort of title that doesn't get a lot of attention on the Saturn. And then I I am um, also going to be dropping an article on Cotton 2. And there's going to be a lot of sort of in-depth explanations about all the different moves that you can pull off in the game. Because, you know, unless you can read Japanese, it's really tough to to make it out from the manual. And lastly, in the not-too-distant future, I've got a Sonic R article cooking. And I know that that's everybody's favorite polarizing game. So, you know, it'll be... It'll be a very interesting look at that game. So those are just three of the articles that are uh, coming out in the relatively near future. I'd like to announce right after we finish up uh, Match Night Ray Earth, we are going to be jumping into Police Knots. I kind of waited until I got the mouse ready, but I kind of wanted to go through that game, especially with the Sega Saturn mouse, and I was testing it out a little bit and getting a feel for it. Because one of the issues is that with my new setup, I don't have access to my PVM as easily as I used to. So Lycan games were kind of a toughie. 
But with Saturn Mouse, it's going to make it like 100% easier to be able to play games like Police Knots, where I don't have to aim the controller and throw it against the wall because my figure isn't fast enough to target the enemies. So that's going to be a blast. I'm really excited to play that. So yeah, look forward to Police Knots coming after we finish up uh, Magic Knight Rare. Yeah, we're having a great time. We're almost done, I hope. To be honest, I don't know. I've never played the game before, so... For all I know, we could probably only be 20% in, which would be kind of scary if that's the case, because this is really feeling long. And on that note, you're going to see a change to our stream structure with the beginning of Anime Stream 2.0, Police Knots. We will be switching from our traditional Facebook posts, most of our streaming, over to a, a Twitch channel. So be looking forward to that in the coming weeks slash months. And we're making that transition slowly, testing out our equipment, make sure everybody's ready to go with that. One other thing that's happening, by the time this cast drops, supposedly we will be in the swing of PRGE, the Retro Gaming Expo. And Ben um, is flying out there. I'll be manning a booth as well as uh, having a team running the Xbox uh, LAN party section right next to the Tetris World Championships. So come on by, say hello. Ben flying out there decided to try and do a, a challenge while we're at the show. We are going to be looking for the weirdest game that he and I can find each for $20 or less, as well as the best game, $20 and under. And we'll also be going around taking video or photos of Saturn Holy Grail items, kind of like a scavenger hunt. The coolest, weirdest, or most obscure, rarest, most expensive Sega Saturn stuff we can find at the expo this year. I thought that sounded really fun. I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with. Maybe we should have like an ultra hard mode where one of you buys the most expensive Saturn game. Yeah, somehow I don't think that's going to be possible. Yeah. I imagine they're probably going to have really rare Saturn games there. Like, I mean, um, I mean you'll always find like a Panzer Dragoon Saga you know, lying around and occasionally you'll find Taramaru, but you won't find... Gosh, what's a good example? Eiffel Home. Della Soba Deluxe. Actually, heartbroken to say this, but last year Don had Eiffel Home. He let me dump the game while I was on site with him at PRGE last year. But he had Eiffel Home available. And I think he actually might have had Della Soba Deluxe as well. They, he did a trade with someone to get... Oh no, yeah, he, he did a trade with Drew and got those games. Drew ended up getting a couple of those unreleased Saturn Protos. Any case, yeah, we're gonna expand this to the rest of the Shiro team after PRGE, and you know, just kind of have have a little fun with it in the light of some other videos that we've seen. All right, so I'd like to thank you all for joining us for the extra spooky Halloween cast. We'd like to thank the fans for sticking with us for all this time, and can't believe the fact we're actually having a second Halloween cast. That's still it's just amazing how far we've come. And I know we we did the same thing at the last cast, but uh, it just really hit me myself. Like I said, I want to thank all our fans, everyone that listens, everyone that doesn't listen. You guys are awesome too. Just need to discover us first. And yeah, we wish you a good night and good fight. Peace oh, out, hey, town down, baby. Oh, also remember, you must play Sega Saturn. You must, or we'll find you. Wow. <laughs> I'm not cutting it. <laughs>